This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name's Andrew. And this is our August 2020 bonus episode on the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes by Suzanne Collins. Uh, we have some guests with us here, Andrew. Who's here with us? It's the audience. It's everybody at home. Everybody's sitting at home. Everyone. Everyone at home. Hi, people at home. This Thanks is for coming. We know that you can't go anywhere else, but you chose to not be able to go anywhere else here with us, and yeah. that makes all the difference. That's right. This is our uh, Patreon bonus episode for the month of August, which means we do have some of our Patreon donors in the chat. Uh, thanks to everyone who's joining us in the chat. Thanks to folks who donated to get this early, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, and if you can't, that's okay. You're getting this on the main feed later. That's fine too. Um, yeah, late's fine. <laughs> Late is fine. Andrew, this book is in a storied uh, story series uh-huh. um, called what? Where did this book come from? This book is a prequel novel to the Hunger Games trilogy, which came out a decade-ish ago, decade plus, and that we read for our podcast more recently than a decade ago. Yeah. And uh, it focuses on that series' chief antagonist, which is a decision to make. To look at the world and to say, but what does the bad guy think? <laughs> to look at the media landscape and go, but what if, what if Joker, but my book, is is a real <laughs> choice that you could make here in the year 2020? And mm-hmm. just Su- Suzanne Collins laughing on a staircase <laughs> somewhere. Um, so we're going to talk about this book. It's pretty new. When did it come out? Like May or June or something? Uh, I didn't even look up that type of info because this book is so new. (laughs) I think we've already been recorded as being surprised with how recently it came out. It came out in May, May 19th. Okay. Wow. Okay. Um, so yeah, we're just going to kind of get into it. If you're, if you haven't read it, we will spoil it. We do that sometimes. If you haven't read it but don't care, we're going to spoil it. Welcome. Uh, we're here for you. And, I mean, the good thing about the spoiler end of it is that the antagonist mm-hmm. from The Hungry Games does not have some exceptionally deep and surprising past. He is a He is a human and troubled young man who becomes an authoritarian in response to circumstance kind of but also because of his personality kind of yeah and then but there's but there's nothing that is going to make you reread the hunger games books and be like man this guy is totally not what i expected it's gonna be like (laughs) yeah yeah this guy had about the heel turn that i would have thought that he did yes true um, so we have covered these books. If you haven't listened to those yet, we started in episode 400, and then like every dozen or so after that, we did another Hunger Games book. Um, so if you'd really need to catch up, that's where you can go. 
A lot of people are saying they're going to base their decision to read it based on our thing. <laughs> and I don't know how I feel about being given that power, but okay. <laughs> so I have, a, I have a quick recap of the Hunger Games, Andrew. Please give me a Hunger Games recap, um, and then we can go back in time 65, 64 years great. to the time of the ballad of the songbirds and the snakes. So the whole series takes place in the land of Panem, which comes from the Roman word for bread, for bread and circum... Cir- Bread and, Bread and circumcision. <laughs> Bread and circuses. And, well, it's a very different book series, huh? And um, the abstinence games. Um, and they used to be America. It's strongly implied um, or directly said, depending on what part of the book it you're is, reading. Yeah, it's directly said. Um, there are 12 or sometimes 13 districts. There was a big, quote-unquote, civil war that was really a revolution and an uprising where the 13th district was destroyed. Uh, and then the capital, all the people in the capital, uh, put the Hunger Games in place to keep the rebels reminded of what they did. So the first book was the 74th annual Hunger Games where our girl Katniss volunteers as tribute. It's very dramatic. She wins with her boyfriend PETA after they like survive and slaughter a bunch of other teens. Um, or are they boyfriend and girlfriend? Hey. Mm. Uh, qu- book two is the 75th annual Hunger Games. It's called The Quarter Quell. All of the participants are former winners, so it's not just teens. Some of them are old. Uh, and it's a revolution in the making where Katniss realizes that she's not just fighting for herself. People want her to fight for them, too. And then the third book is basically just a rebellion. She's a symbol. Uh, she's got to save her boyfriend, not boyfriend. Um, they do th- that, but a bunch of people die. There's a proposal to keep the games, and they're like, nah. And then the... Well, they're like, yes, but then <laughs> She's Katniss... like, nah. Rises up and tries to break the circle or break the chain or, or whatever. You can never because, because, break the chain. Because she can see the power structure in the post-war era just kind of taking up where the last one left off. Yes. And she is not into that. And that book ends where like the last thing we see of President Cor- Coriolanus Snow is him dying on the ground, laughing, choking on his own blood. Uh, and like the hallmarks of the hallmarks of that trilogy are like media critique where everything is performance and everything is like curated for the viewer. Uh, the like early aughts forever war, um, except not just early aughts because it's forever war, um, exploiting youth and like hyper capitalist sci fi satire kind of stuff. Anything I missed or anything about the Hunger Games in general that you want to make sure we like lay out before we get into this book. I mean, that's so that's the overarching plot. I don't think the, the only thing your synopsis kind of misses is the relish with which Collins actually constructs and talks about the mm. Hunger Games mm-hmm. and, and kind of their role in Panem society. Uh, so in the in the universe of the Hunger Games, as many of you at home probably know, they were constructed after this rebellion to uh, take one child or one child of each of the only two genders that there are in these books. There's some implied homosexuality. There is at one point at one point in this book, and yeah. I'm like, wow, implied homosexuality in the universe of the Hunger Games. It's very yeah. So one one boy and one girl from each um, 
from each of the 12 districts. They are all put into a big box together and made to kill each other. And this reminds the districts of how what power the capital has and of what they did and keeps them in line. In the capital, which doesn't have a name, it's just called the capital. This is a big thing with me in fiction is why would you call your planet? Why would you call where you live the northern continent on the planet Festus three? Like you would have a better name for it than that. Um, but in the capital is viewed as a big entertainment event. The glimpses we get of the capital are of this place just utterly sort of corrupted by excess while the people in the outer districts especially just live in abject squalor yeah, yeah. and uh and yeah it's it's very reality tv there's like a big entertainment industrial complex that's that's sprung sprung up around it and that sort of the grossness and the juxtaposition of that is what collins was getting at but it also is a thing that sort of drives uh katniss's antipathy 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 for the games yes and for the whole operation like Katniss's thing is like she doesn't want anyone to dictate who she is and how she's getting used both in the games and out um she kind of just like her she is dragged into being an icon but I mean her main thing is just like leave me and my family alone (laughs) yes that's true is the essence of it yeah um well so let's get into songbirds and snakes um it's as you said, Andrew. It's sixty-four years uh, prior to the Hunger Games, so to the first book, yes. Yeah. So, like, what is the setup? What is the state of the world? How do we get into this book? We are in the head, and again, we can talk about that. We talked about this a lot when we talked about the first three books. We can talk about the restrictions and yeah. if if there are any like. The, the good things about being locked in one person's head the entire time, but we are in the head of a young Coriolanus Snow. I keep wanting Cori- to say Cornelius. Corio to, Corio to his friends. Corio. Yeah. Delicious. Because you're, the character of your book can't, just can't possibly have a five syllable first name. You can't do this to me, <laughs> Suzanne Collins. <laughs> a young Coriolanus Snow from a prestigious family in the capital has the, the the family is has come has run up on hard times because they were arms dealers who like made a bad bet and so we're supposed to feel bad for them that they don't have any money. Um, it's him and his cousin Tigress who you might fans might remember from the last book where she is like been surgically altered to look like a cat and she kind of helps the rebels a little bit toward the end of the third book. Yes. Um, yes. And his grandma, the grandmam. The grandmam. <laughs> no, they don't call him Corey. They call him Corio. It's, you we know. We can call him Corey. Let's we get all 90s in let's here. Let's call Corey him Corey. Corey Snow. Corey Matthews Snow over here. Um, <laughs> and like, yeah, like you said, Andrew, there is a lot. It's very, it's um, the previous books were first person. This is like close third. I don't know why she made that choice distinct from the other one. There's not an appreciable difference. Um but like we're we're meant. I mean, is Katniss first person? I believe so. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. All right. We're meant to spend like to be like sad for them, and because it's only ten years since the war, so like there's a lot. There's still like destroyed stuff in the streets. There's still bread lines. People like his family lived on lima beans for years. 
he still has like PTSD, what he calls bomb time from when like bombs were going off in the Capitol. Yeah, and Collins in the one interview, like everybody is stuck in their houses all the time, but she only did one interview with the publisher of the book on this, which seems a little strange to me why they wouldn't have tried to set up a little bit more PR for it. Yeah. But in that in that interview, she talks about um trying to sort of get in the like create a vibe that is consistent with like the South after the Civil War or uh parts of Europe after World War II, just kind of a like pieces here, but many people are still traumatized and the the civilization is still trying to figure out how to rebuild and move forward. And there's a lot of like very present anger and hate towards the people who caused the damage, though, you know, Corey will admit what the Capitol did wrong, I suppose. Um, it all, t- I think the thing underneath the parts of him that stink because he does stink he's a a-hole he is a, he's a stinker yeah um he's a real Corey's a real stinker he uh he does like i guess he just comes from a, a very uh a foundation of precarity like everything you know his parents died in the war well his dad was killed in the war and his mom died in labor because they like couldn't get her to the hospital or something um food is you know was never a sure thing so his whole thing is like man the world is chaos and disorder and i need and someone needs to control it well and this is so it is that is where he is coming at it from but it it was interesting to me that collins because we we had this problem with katniss too she did not have a lot of a personality and part of the reason she didn't have a lot of a personality is in the like as explained in the books at least is because so much of her life has been determined by subsistence level need. Mm. And Corey is playing this game at a higher level, but it is like we we are we the audience are supposed to be in his corner because he is like clearly struggling with with like want. Yes. And with and with worry about supporting the people he loves. Yeah. And even though we know that he is this sort of amoral killer who shows up in the later books um that is that that is that is yeah that that's like it's it's meant to because you don't you you don't know how it's going to turn out like you don't know if you're going to end up sympathizing with him or or what collins wants you to feel like at the beginning of the book so you kind of go in i don't know if i would say i want to like sympathize with him but i expected to a little bit and that's that that's how she that's how she makes that happen yeah um so early on we get the like wow only 10 years after the war huh they did start the hunger games but i guess they're not as good at it yet like set up <laughs> the hunger games kind of suck they really kind of suck nobody wants to watch them they've been <laughs> on for 10 years and nobody's really paying a lot of attention because they just it is just a busted arena in the middle of town they throw a bunch of like malnourished kids in with a big pile of like knives and the kids just have to and they just turn the cameras on and the kids go for it yeah and that's the games and so that's been the games for a decade it's it is interesting because like as you said andrew one of the most compelling parts of the first two books were like the create 
the creativity that Collins brings to this murder nonsense. Yeah, right. Um, it's like children murdering each other. Yeah, and it's it's a. Ju- I sound like I'm being really judgy, but I'm just being flippant for comedic effect. Yeah, for lack of a better way to address it, right? (laughs) Um, And she deliberately has to dial that back in this book because the games are more, for lack of a better word, primitive, like... And I think that is, like, an underlying tension to what she's able to accomplish with the book because she is trying to write a story about how and why people would make the games entertaining. It's just a weird... Like, that's a weird project to give yourself. It is. And I I guess I had kind of assumed, like reading the first books, I guess I had assumed that that had been factored in 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 the first place is like the... The control element? The reason, like, well, the reason it's entertaining is because people in the Capitol want to... gloat over and lorded over the people they they have conquered. Yeah. And the reason why it is mandatory viewing in the districts is because they are, one, like probably forced to watch it by their cruel overlords, but also invested in the tributes from their districts and like wanting, like hoping against hope that they will win because it will bring some material benefit. Yeah. It will bring some material benefit and some, there is some like, uh, status that comes with it for the for the district, if not for everybody in it. Yes. So I guess I had just assumed that it would be self evident. I didn't know that this book was going to be the incredible true origin story of the Hunger Games as we know them. <laughs> it they're kind because of because no because nobody in the first three books is ever overheard saying like, "Man, the Hunger Games is great now," but you got to stick with it through like the first ten seasons <laughs> or so before it gets really good. It doesn't pick up until after the after the first 10 of them. I was really into <laughs> like, the Hunger Games after like the 20th patch dropped, but those first like in early access it was really terrible. It was very On the buggy. first host that they had before John Stewart, like he was no good. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. The- <laughs> and okay, so beginning of the book, the the two things we've got. One, we've got a problem for uh, Corey is that you know he's still dealing with the fact that his family has fallen from grace and uh he learns that the capital is gonna start like taxing people's apartments in the district and you yeah can't. they're gonna implement a property tax <laughs> and if you can't pay the property tax then you're gonna like lose everything and it, like, well, and like and like a true like a true nimby Corey is very against this property yes, tax yes because he doesn't want to pay it and and again like in context it be it to me felt uh a little laughable and underbaked just given who i know snow becomes like that is not it, in a vacuum housing insecurity is not a thing to laugh at but the way that it's delivered in this book among all of these upper class a-holes is is kind of awkward i thought um, and, it, and it's supposed to be his like motivating factor because he wants to do a good job working on the game so that he gets a good scholarship so that his family doesn't lose their house, um, which should make me care about him more than it does. Um, and then the other thing which they lay out is everyone agreed that if the Hunger Games were to continue, they needed to evolve into a more meaningful experience. And the pairing of the capital youth with the district tributes had people intrigued. What does yeah, this so that's mean? A, that's that's the deal. Is that to try and spice up the Hunger Games because they've been doing them for ten years and they're just like, man, this nobody's watching these things. <laughs> nobody, we are going to we keep doing them, but nobody's watching them. Um, they have decided to pair up 
they've they've created a mentorship, and this is something that we've experienced in the first three books. But in this book, in this initial attempt, they've taken like a two dozen promising students from the local school, and they are pairing them up one to each tribute from the 12 districts yes in in a way that in the later hunger games it's previous winners from your district um but this time because since that's never happened before it's like yeah it's like adopt a tribute it's you know big brothers big sisters um but murder uh and the he (laughs) there's some you know, in the chat where people are like, what really? It's just about property taxes. He does have a like, I will be president someday. Like he does. Yeah, he does have like a rags to riches narrative. Like, man, I just gotta, I gotta get some money to go to school. Like he, he knows he's going to be involved in this hunger games thing. And that if you, if your tribute wins, your, your entrance and your tuition to this university is assured. And this is the only way that he's going to get in. And he can't ask anybody for money because, and I don't know how this would work, but somehow he's managed to hoodwink everybody into thinking that the Snows still have money. So this is his main yeah. His main drive is to continue forward, to get what he believes his name has earned him, and for nobody else to find out that he's secretly a poor. Yes, correct. He is friends, not friends, with a nouveau riche kid named Sejanus <laughs> with new money um, whose family is from district two, which is the rising arms manufacturing district. They have moved in uh, his dad, Mr. Plinth. I don't remember his first name is Strabo. Strabo. These are all Roman Rome, mostly Roman names with some Greek mixed in yes. sometimes. Um, I think. Strabo Plinth is like, he is the, the DeVos family of the capital, just buying up buildings left and right, <laughs> donating to campus all over. And I thought of him more as like a Kushner type. But yeah, it's, yeah, sure. That so makes James sense. has big like Jared vibes. He does. To me, he I does think. have big <laughs> Jared vibes. Because like maybe he means well, but he's also not super competent. <laughs> <laughs> and he, yeah, so Janus is interesting because it's like, are he and... Corey friends uh, who really knows does it really matter Corey doesn't think they're friends Corey hates him and just kind of keeps helping him out of circumstance yeah or because eventually because he sees that it will help him yes but th- this is this is part of my problem with Corey is a lot of the stuff that in a in a like a good like light side to dark side turn story would feel more intentional and more like, I don't know. Like, it just, it just feels like a lot of the stuff just kind of happens to Corey and then he rolls with it. So the book... Rather than, like, him choosing to make decisions. Before we before we get into the... When I, I opened my E-edition of this book and there's an epigraph with several quotes. It's pronounced E-edition. Um, and the first... You do both E's. Uh, the epigraph. The first is, hereby it is manifest that during the time men live without a common power to keep them all in awe, they are in that condition which is called war, from Thomas Hobbes. Then there is the state of nature has a law of nature to govern it, which obliges everyone, and reason, which is that law, teaches all mankind who will but consult it, that being all equal and independent, no one ought to harm another in his life, health, liberty, or possessions, from John Locke, if you remember your high school Social studies classes. Everybody's in like philosophy 101 in this intro. And and Corey really starts in between Locke and Hobbes. And 
he the people who are running the games are real Hobbses, and his tribute, who we meet in a little bit, Lucy Gray, is a real lock, I suppose. Um, and so, as you said, Andrew, he doesn't have a light side, dark side turn. He has a mm, turn to, like, now I'm president. Like, he's just a guy doing the capital thing and then becomes president. Not in the book, but it's implied that he will. And obviously. he, yeah, he does have, like, an innate, uh, like uh, he looks down on people in the district a lot for sure, yeah. and occasionally something happens to challenge that, and he is like, "Man, maybe this is maybe I should think harder about this." Nah, <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> so like that, he does he he isn't he doesn't come with a lot of like preconceived notions, no. but he does definitely have some conclusions that he's quicker to reach than others, if that makes sense. Yes. And so they're they're starting the 10th annual games. They've assigned them tributes. He gets a bum one. It's a real, like... He gets a real dud because she's from District 12. Get it? Where have, I, where have I heard of that district before? Oh, it's the one that Katniss Everdeen is from. Ah. Hmm. Mm. And it's a mm. girl. Hmm. Mm. Lucy Gray Baird um, from District 12. We find out she is like of something called the Covey, which is like... Is it Covey or Covey? It's a great question. I don't like Covey. Because <laughs> that makes co- me think, oh, I've got to get in bed under the Covey. <laughs> it's spelled like Coven. Like, it's Covey. Let's say Covey. I think it's... You say Covey, Covey I'll say Covey. Yeah, let's call the whole thing off. Covey... <laughs> Kovi and Corey are paired up in this in this. Epic I, well, I tale. bring up, I bring up the Covey because like there's they don't really fully explore this, but she is. Th- this was a like a roving band of you know musicians and artists that just got like stuck in District Twelve because of the war and the way that society was stratified. But like you know. She's still from District 12, so what doesn't matter? Put that on the list of things this book is not equipped to dive further into. Allegra says that Covey is too close to COVID, which I guess I can accept. Sure. As a reason to We sound to like it, the Skeksis. Oh, no. <laughs> what does that mean? I think, are they from, are they from, um, they're from something. They're bad guys from something. See, you laughed like you knew what it was from. Yeah, because I, I, I thought they were the bad guys you... from Land of the Lost, and then I got nervous <laughs> that they weren't. No, those are the Slee Stacks. Oh, no. <laughs> this podcast is a mess. Someone in the chat tell us what the Skeksis are. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Dark Crystal. Dark Crystal. Ah, All right. okay. Like dark, okay. Dark Crystal. Um, so... Andrew, they kind of build the railroad as the train's on it. They're, like, sitting in class going, what could make the Hunger Games good? Yeah, so their sadistic, horrible teacher whose name is, what's her name? Mrs. Gary or Mrs. Gray? Dr. Gall. Dr. Gall. (laughs) Dr. Dr. Gary keeps giving them all these assignments about, like, if you had to make the Hunger Games better, just hypothetically, <laughs> could you write a paper? Like, write a paper about how you would do that? Yes. And so they, the the class collectively comes up with some ideas that we will, you know, recognize as readers of the Hunger Games books. They develop a sort of betting system. They develop a system where uh, watchers at home can donate like food and water and other supplies to the tributes in the arena. Yes. 
which are flown in on a little like Jeff Bezos drone Correct. and dropped off for yep. people. And it's like it seems late to be adding this stuff because the kids have already been assigned their tributes and like I think this is happening as or already after Cor- Corey was like, well, I guess I'll go meet my tribute at the subway stop. And it's not a subway. It's a terrible train. Um, and, a <laughs> uh, and that doesn't really work out because then he ends up in the truck that they're in, which dumps them all in the monkey house at the zoo. There's a whole section where all the tributes are kept at the zoo. And then the zoo doesn't really have many animals in it because they all got at during the war because people didn't have enough food. Yep. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But Coriolanus is the great innovator of like showing off his tribute to the crowd and she's like a singer. She sang a song at at the reaping. At the reaping, yes. And then now she's singing a song for the camera. Andrew, do you want to tell me the the name of the reporter at the zoo uh who interviews Coriolanus Snow? Oh no, that's not the name I was thinking. I'm thinking of another name. Oh, hit me with hit the, hit me with the name of the reporter. The reporter at the zoo he shows up and he's like, oh, I got to find out about this cool girl who's going to be your tribute. This is weird. The games, the capital kids are involved. My name is Lepidus Malmsey. <laughs> Hi, I'm so Lepidus Malmsey, Channel 3 News. <laughs> I was not thinking about Lepidus Malmsey. I was thinking about Professor Crispus Demigloss. <laughs> I thought a demigloss was something that you, like it was some uh, sort of a kitchen type food type I think thing. it is a t- I think it's a food thing. I but it's spelled right. demigloss like like a half like a gloss paint, paint? like a paint color. Yeah. <laughs> like oh I'm pa- this room is painted a uh, refreshing Christmas demigloss. Other uh other like you know highlights of the the roster of names here. Our so our working theory I'll just remind everybody yes. in the Hunger Games is that it was a Roman name combined with the last flavor of lip of lip smacker that you used. <laughs> Well, so there's was the <laughs> there's Iphigenia Moss, which is Greek. You're cheating. Um, Io Jasper, Urban Canville, which is very good. What about uh, what about Flora's friend? I like Flora's friend. <laughs> uh, I do like Dennis Fling, who seems a little out of <laughs> place. Fling. Uh, He's like the one conservative comedian that everybody <laughs> hates. Oh, you mean hilarious Heavensby? <laughs> yeah there's a heavens be in the in the trilogy main trilogy too and they're like plutarch heavens yes I feel a, like yes and we do guy. we do meet an elder i kept i kept wanting to i kept wanting to call him plutarch heavens gate yes oh gosh is not right um we, yeah we do meet caesar flickerman's or flickman's like great grandpa lucky flickman or whatever his name is yeah lucky flickerman and no it doesn't seem like she used a a name generator as much as she used like pliny's lives mixed with a shakespeare uh like textbook to make these names if i were more up on my on my classics degree i would be able to talk a little bit more like there there is sometimes some like symbolism and some weight Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like a reason why she chooses the names that she chooses. So like I'll just. Yeah, go. The one that I'm the most prepared to talk about is Sejanus. So I'll do that to make it sound super smart. But Sejanus in in this book is the is the new money kid who is, you know, he's sort of bought his dad's bought the family's way into power. Yeah. And that's kind of where the similarities begin and end. But Sejanus in Roman history was a um, 
sort of a guards, think of him as a sort of Roman secret serviceman under the emperor Tiberius, who I will think of him as that. Yes. Who made the Praetorian guard, which is sort of the Roman secret service, an office that handled a lot more than just like personal security for the emperor. Like he, he sort of built it out into a, into a body that handled a lot of like national security stuff. And he was like high level advisor to the emperor. And for a while in like the late twenties or early thirties, uh, CE, he was basically the power in Rome. Like he had sort of isolated Tiberius and, and cut him off and was like elected consul and was kind of running the show until Tiberius was like, Hey, wait a minute. And then had him killed. <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. I think Cor- well, in Coriolanus, I have seen productions of that play. Um, he like becomes em- um, emperor consul. Um, but he like presides over like a bread riot and stuff. And that's how he comes to power and mm-hmm. um, kind of a reluctant at first leader, but then becomes very ambitious. So that maps, I guess. Um, but like, let's let's move through the plot a little bit more. I feel like we're doing a lot. Yeah, let's do that. No, sorry, um, I was just showing off. No, that's a, hey, you know, we all got to do it. Um, so there's I mean, been some... I'm just I'm just being your good florist friend over here. <laughs> oh my god, uh, we've been getting some good goofs in the chat about um, from Courtney is Hunger Games as class project, which is very good. <laughs> and I do think that there is plays what that um, is. The book, at least for through all through the entire Hunger Games, is steeped in the capital's academia, um, and it is the power structure by which Coriolanus and his peers like move through this world. I think that Collins has underexplored the degree to which she has positioned the like birth of the real Hunger Games as a product of. Uh, like a university i think of that, academia yeah. yeah and and how the guy who ostensibly invented the hunger games whose name is uh dean something, higginsbottom high bottom is high bottom the name. and the symbolism of that is that they're in addiction because he's addicted oh, yeah. to like the morphine in addiction there are high bottoms where you decide to quit before you lose things and low bottoms where you huh. quit after you lose everything. Um, so that that is the significance of his name. But um, yeah, Dean Highbottom is the guy who like invented the Hunger Games 10 years ago. He doesn't seem like he's in a great way, but he is like trotted out as a sort of national icon slash hero. Yeah. While Dr. Gall is kind of behind the scenes making people do homework to make it more sadistic, <laughs> but also more addictive and viewable. But we... we find out that like eventually we get a little bit more i found it very kind of an underwhelming reveal of like his creation of the games but it did come out of a school assignment and if if that's what collins wants to say about this world and the way that like cruelty is perpetuated through systems like i really wish that she leaned into it more because i think that this book doesn't quite accomplish that because it's too interested in like a character that already exists from other books that were successful. It sort of sets up a a narrative where the Ivy tower academics create systems of oppression that, and I, I don't know that that's not true, but you don't want to be careful about how you perpetuate that narrative because of a, because of like a skepticism of 
institutions and experts that is causing that is also causing a lot of problems right now at the moment. This I don't book know. This is, is not something I'm prepared to be smart about. This book is not up to the things that I found most interesting about it. Like let, let me boil okay. it down. Like I found that part of the of the world building very interesting, but she doesn't have room for that because she's following snow around all over the place. Like I want I will you know I'm not going to do this, but I came very close to starting a change.org petition to let Suzanne Collins write books with more than one point of view in them. Like she <laughs> just boxes herself. You think it's it's like a, it's a contract like she wants to but she can't. She, she has a lot of creativity and a lot of interesting ideas and the world is there's a rich world for her to to explore. But she is well. I even I even find most like connect the dotsy kind of like this is how this is how the thing came to be. Like she does a lot of that in this book, but I didn't find it uninteresting. Yeah. Like if, if I'm watching Better Call Saul, like the worst part of it is let's explain how the underground meth lab actually <laughs> came to be, and like I hate that stuff normally, but it's actually pretty good in this book. Yes, and and she has just like saddled it with. What if the bad guy had to learn about philosophy before he could be the bad guy? You know? Yeah. All right, let's get into That's what I hate about that X-Men prequel too. It's ah. like Oh yeah, every every everything that made every X-Man the way that they are happened to them in one week in 1964. <laughs> <laughs> and we showed it all in this one movie. Like that's boring. So stop it. A couple of big things happen before the games get underway. Um the other tributes aren't as good at bonding, or the other mentors, the students, are not as good at bonding with their tributes as Coriolanus is. One of them ends up teasing her tribute into killing her at the zoo. Yeah, whoops. That goes poorly. The uh, peacekeepers, the soldiers, kill the tribute on the spot. There's a big public funeral meant to intimidate the districts. Bad. Um they give the tributes a tour of the arena, which, as you said, Andrew, is just like a bombed out, dirty football field. Um, and and lo and behold, there are still bombs in there that go off and a couple people die. Well, the implication is that that's a that's a new intentional attack. It's not just like they stumbled over old mines sure, or something. Sure. Because they're by like the ticketing turnstiles that let everybody into the arena. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um. And so there's like room for some of the tributes and the their mentors to bond in that moment where some of them save each other's lives, some of them don't and they die. One of them named Marcus, who I think Sejanus was his classmate in District 2. Yeah. So there's yeah, yeah. an awkward, painfully awkward relationship there where there's kind of like a class traitor thing happening and Sejanus doesn't feel good about these games. Sejanus like bluntly at one point is just like, why do we do the games? We... All animals protect their children. We're killing our children. You're like, Sejanus. Okay. Simple. <laughs> summer child. <laughs> um, and the other thing that's happening is they are building towards a very rudimentary version of what you see in the original trilogy where they're prepping them for interviews for the first time that mostly go very poorly. Yes. And and it's worth pointing out, we talked about Lucky Flickerman already, but it is he is a local weatherman <laughs> who has been sort of co-opted into this. It, it is not very polished. There are multiple descriptions of bits that he tries to do that just don't go anywhere. Doing magic on television. 
<laughs> he brings his pet parrot on television. It's a debacle. It's great. It's, it is. This is the local access version of the Hunger Games, and I kind of like. I it. know this I kind is of. The, this is the stuff about the book that I really did enjoy. Um, so they get into the games, and the the biggest difference. Oh, should we say the thing? Did the thing happen where Doctor Gall had the magic snakes? That happens before the games start, right? Yeah, I mean, so so there's a there are a there are multiple misfortunes that happen to the tributes and then to their mentors both that get various like mentors and tributes dropped out of the game. So there are just like fewer kids in there when the games actually start. Um, one of the like Dr. Gall has given it's a group assignment, which everybody knows that only one person does the work. <laughs> and in this group, it was Corey who did all the work. And to be fair to his his partner, Clemencia, he did do all the work because the third person in their group did get killed by their tribute Correct. at the zoo the day before. Yes. And so Corey comes up with this plan and he hands it in and Clemenzia is like, why, why did you do that? Like we could have gotten an easy A because our partner got killed. <laughs> and then Dr. Gall is very impressed with this, this thing. Brink calls them both down to her office where she's working on all the horrible mutations, like the malformed killer animals that we know so well from the later books. Yep. And she just does some weird like test where it's like, She's trying to suss out which of them is the one who did all the work in the group project because there's always one person. And they lie and say that they both did it. And then she's like, well, I have these snakes that will only attack people who smell unfamiliar. And I put your assignment into the tank. And so if you read, just could you just like reach in and get the plan for me? Could you read me like my favorite part of your essay? Just like reach in there and grab the only copy, just reach in there and grab it and then read it to me? And so she gets bitten by like Lisa Frank snakes (laughs) and ends up going to the hospital. Yeah, where she develops like weird snake skin for a period of time. It's very odd. Um, And those snakes come back later, check off snakes. Um, But we get into... Well, I mean, the snakes... The snakes are on the name of the title of the book. Yes. Like it's it's about snakes. Like that's a big symbol. We also haven't talked we haven't talked too much about Lucy Gray, uh our songbird, our titular songbird. Yeah, we kind of we need to pick it up cuz we're mostly mired in book 1 yeah. and there are two more books in this thing. What is like let, sum up her relationship with Corey Andrew because I have thoughts maybe. She is what like an old gross man would call a spitfire, I think. <laughs> She is she manic pixie dream girls her way into Corey's life. And because she is like not technically like of District 12, she just happened to get stuck there. And because she is pretty and because she sang and got everybody's attention off the bat, like he is smitten with her. And true to the Manic Pixie archetype, even though I, I know that's problematic, it's just like what Collins is clearly doing with this character. Yeah. Um, he is smitten with her and she changes his life forever. Um, and he starts to fall for her and he creates this rich, elaborate fiction in his head for why it's okay because she's not really district. She's really just as capital as anybody because like clearly she's different from all these animals in the district. Yep. <sighs> yeah. We got an email from, uh, Emma who asked if she was a manic pixie dream girl, if, uh, Lucy was, and like, I'm with you. It's not a great thing to dive into as a as a trope that we should just lean on 
but it is exactly what Collins is doing, and it is a function of the fact that we're stuck with Corey, that we can't get any of her story, so anything that might make her more than this is kept from us. She's like, she is, she shows up in a rainbow dress, she sings a song, and she drops a snake down the dress of a classmate to get back at her for something. Yes. Like, can, could anybody other than like Zoe Deschanel circa 2006 play this character? (laughs) I don't think that, I don't think so. There is like some very underbaked, uh, implications that she was picked manually by the mayor's daughter for the reaping and that's kind of what she was getting back for. again collins does is like hey that would be an interesting thing but i won't write any more about it um so they have like sort of a romance <laughs> you know let's get some good stuff in the in the chat uh gloria says so Corey is a nice guy capital n capital g yeah uh-huh. And then uh, Lisa says that uh, Lucy Gray sounds like a John Green character. And yeah, John Green's books are, are replete with this specific kind of character archetype. Again, I th- be- often because of how we me- what perspective we meet them from, I think. But yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Absolutely. So we get this like weird, tearful goodbye pre-games between the two of them where they like I think she kisses him and they're they crying and he's like, hey, take my mom's mirror compact that I've been carrying around, but also you could put your poison in it. Also put some rat poison in it. They put rat poison in the zoo and you should put it in this compact and you should poison everybody. And so that moment feels like a classic Hunger Games moment where it's like, are they in love? Did he just do that so he could slip her the murder device? And Collins moves right on and does not explore that at all. Um they get into the games and we get no this is both a flaw in fiction of the games is that like as soon as they drop all the kids in the arena they just run away into the stands and you can never see them and they mm-hmm. hide um and also that means that we the reader are just like in the control room with Flickman and the mentors and Coriolanus like trying to follow it on TV and having a very limited view of what's going on. So the the drama of the games, which is a hallmark of the series, is like relegated to watching like a boring soccer game. Well, it, it is it is very much sports before they had like cam like drone mounted cameras and like the Hunger Games that we know of has just like these omnipresent cameras and microphones that can yeah, pick up. Yeah all kinds of video feeds, all kinds of audio feeds, giving the people, like the game makers in the control room, the ability to edit together all kinds of really compelling stuff where this is just like, it's kind of like an older football game, like you said, where they just, you just kind of point a couple of cameras at the field and you catch what you catch. Like there's not a lot You're of... You're watching like a high school football game where there's two cameramen who yeah, are Yeah, like there's, there's not a lot of angles to it. You can only, you only get a, like a limited insight into what is going on. Yes. Um, and, and it is, it is doing something. It's not, she, she's not doing that for lack of an idea. Like she is trying to, in those scenes, a lot of it is like critiquing the presentation. Um, some of the sniping between the students takes a lot of the pages. Uh, again, Coriolanus is like, trying to figure out the hierarchy and how he's going to help. And, and they can have the thing where they all have Apple watches. And when the people at home 
um, like want to bet or give a, a tribute food, your Apple Watch buzzes and then you can tap tap and then the drones will fly out there and like give them a bottle of Fiji water or whatever. Um, I do like that the first couple times a drone flies out, it's clearly some game maker who has like never flown a quadcopter yes. before and it just uh-huh. kind of ineffectually smashes <laughs> the water. And like one and they have to like send another one out. One of the kids ends up like hacking a drone to make all the other drones like just kind of bump into each other like defective Roombas and kill a kid at one point. That that's mm-hmm. pretty creative of of the things. Um the big like events that happen in this the first thing that I remember, Andrew, is they that kid Marcus who snuck away after the bombing he has been strung up on like the goalpost yeah so he most of the tributes who tried to get away in the confusion of that explosion um got shot and killed but marcus the tribute who sejanus is kind of attached to managed to escape for a long time nobody knew what had happened to him but he was recaptured he was strung up alive on some kind of post and then he was killed by one of the people in the arena. And then Sejanus like sneaks in at night to, it's not clear what his, he's doing funeral rites. Yeah. Like just trying to save him, trying to put his soul to rest because of, because of rituals that they have out in the, in the districts districts. And because Corey through like circumstance has been assumed to be a friend of Sejanus, he is sent in to, get him out and when he goes in to do this like he talks to Janus down and they're about ready to leave when some of the tributes go in to attack them and Corey ends up like beating this kid's head in with a two by four with a nail in it I think yes and Um, this gets unpacked throughout the book where he's like oh man I can't believe I had to do that I'm an animal without without rules and without control we're just animals man and and dr gall usually you have to get pretty high to have these kinds of <laughs> insights yeah th- some of the the level of analysis here is pretty stoned but incredibly not like very just trying to straight lay some of these That's these conversations that, that name of that book incredibly stoned but definitely not <laughs> yeah <laughs> um and so from there on out, I'm trying to remember how the games go down. The big like level up is that Dr. Gall airlifts her evil snakes in there. But before she does that, Coriolanus, uh, Corey, excuse me, he like drops a handkerchief that smells like Lucy Gray into the snakes. Yeah. And so then when the snakes show up, they do kill some of the kids. Uh, the other kid from District 12 has died from rabies. Again, there's a whole like kids in the arena animals thing. Um, and then Lucy Gray has her rainbow dress of snakes that do not kill her because she smells Lucy's good. Lucy's amazing technicolored snake dress. And uh, eventually she wins having poisoned a few kids, having thrown a snake at another kid. Um, and from Coriolanus like airlifting in some supplies as well as the secret rat poison supplies Um, but he doesn't get to like sit around and celebrate he does go on on TV and they're like he's like great job Lucy did a great job and then he's ushered away well and he's like man I'm so glad I won these these Hunger Games, me and Lucy, you're going to get to do it now. And I'm going to get a sick that, scholarship that's, that's going to save my get, family. He doesn't say that, but that's implied. Yes. Like me and, Lois, me and Lucy Gray are going to boink. 
because I mean, after they kiss, he is literally like, "Man, is this what everybody's talking about?" Yes, and, In, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and there's and there's also a lot of like, "She's my girl. She's no one else's." Which man, is that is just throughout the thing and is gross. Yep, but I, I can't tell. I think it might be intentionally yeah. gross yeah. on Collins's part because he sucks. He does suck, and I, I don't think Collins is, is uh, saying that that doesn't suck, but she also recognizes that romantic interests were a core part of the original trilogy's appeal and i think was like well how do i shoehorn that into this one uh-huh um and but he has been figured out yeah so it's been figured out that he's been breaking and skirting a lot of rules throughout this hunger games including giving her extra food giving her this rat poison that she has and like sabotaging the the terrarium that Dr. Gall <laughs> drops in with the magic snakes. And so he he is given the option of like you know being boot being drummed out of the academy in disgrace, basically, or being signed up for a military service for like 20 years and never being heard from again. And that 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 is one like Collins ha- clearly has stuff to say about like about class structure and about the military industrial complex. And she has interesting stuff to say in this book about how the military in American society in particular is kind of this underclass where people feel pressured to serve in it because of nationalism, but also because of economic want. Yeah. Mm hmm. Because it's one of the only, like, it's one, it's one of the few positions for which the social safety net still exists. Like, you can still get good healthcare and good insurance, and they'll pay off, like, student loans, and they'll do all kinds of stuff for you. And it's not long after he's out there, so he gets sent to District 12, and it's not long after he's out there, and he's like, oh, wow, I could take an officer exam, and I could raise my station and probably get sent back to a, a district closer to the capital and have, like, real stuff to do. Um, and you're right, Andrew, that is like, again, she is a little hamstrung by both the character she has hitched her wagon to and to his role in the other trilogy. And so because it is positioned as this, like, this book will fill in some blanks, uh, she can't, or just is, I guess, like, doesn't leave herself room, even though it is a 500 page book, uh, she doesn't leave herself room to like find other avenues to talk about that stuff yeah uh, put a put a pin in this lisa it's it's saying i'm interested to hear if if we think this book is a vital addition to the series and must be read or if it's just a bonus book okay make sure we can close um, on that that's a great question i think a, a way of saying could you just sum it up for me <laughs> real quick <laughs> which is perfectly reasonable <laughs> so i found i found that this whole section out in district 12 like parts of the other trilogy where the games aren't happening, kind of dragged sags. It, like, it, it just dragged. Dra- it drags and sags a lot. Yeah. It's very, It's a very long book. They go, and, and this section... They're just vibing out there for like a, like a 50 pages. They're just vibing in District 12. Listen no, to the music. I, I, was being, I was being facetious when I... <laughs> <laughs> when I implied that you were saying just wrap it up already when you, when you asked for that. It's a perfectly reasonable thing and a good note to end on. But yeah, so the the last book is 
Snow has been, you know, drummed out of the of the academy. He goes into the peacekeeping corps and he elects to be sent to District 12 because that's where Lucy Gray is from. And up till now, the the victors in the Hunger Games, like they don't they don't get the sort of honorifics and the extra stuff that they get. She just goes right back the, to live in the main trilogy. Yeah. They just kind of dump you back and it's like, all right, bye. You're still alive. Like, good luck. <laughs> and the, the other thing is that the people in the districts, especially this far out, really do not watch the games at all. Even like even less than the folks in the capital. The cap- Partly because they just don't have the means to yeah. do it. Like nobody has enough stuff to own a TV. And and the full on propaganda so, like social control elements of the entertainment are are nowhere near fleshed out. Like that's what this book is built is like laying the groundwork for. Um, yeah. And that's a realization that Snow is having as he's moving through this district going, huh, the people do live out here, but it's kind of cutthroat and I don't like it. What's going to yeah, happen? It's like one of the very rare moments of introspection that he has is so he gets sent out. Sejanus also gets sent out yep. kind of as, as punishment for the stunt that he pulled where he went into the arena. Yes. Um, and he they're like buddy cops for a period of time. <laughs> They're kind of buddy cop, but they're walking through District 12 and they like and Corey Corey sees how people in the districts live. And he's there. There's a section in the in the book that says it frightened Coriolanus this level of want. He'd been broke most of his life, but the snows had always worked hard to maintain decency. These people had given up and some part of him blamed them for their plight. He shook his head. We pour so much money into the districts, he said. It must be true. People always complain about it in the capital. We pour money into our industries, not into the districts themselves, said Sejanus. The people are on their own. And again, Suzanne Collins, you have interesting. There's that's an interesting thing you could explore is yeah. how we'd set up a how the entire social safety net has been framed as a sort of like, well, we just give these ingrates. We pour all this. It happens both internationally and domestically, right? Like we, we pour all this money into these heathen countries and we, we could be spending it at home. And when we spend it at home, we give it to the wrong people who don't deserve it. And it's just cause they don't want to work. And it's all this like horrible rhetoric about just like stripping people of their humanity and in here we get like a two or three paragraphs, like just enough to almost say something interesting. And then we're on to like another Tom Bombadil <laughs> there's bunch a, of there's so Kobe much songs and... in this book. Oh my God. There's so much music in this book, but I can't hear any of it. It's just words on a page. That's kind I know, of, I don't like it. I don't dig it. And it's like Lucy Gray is just singing all the time. She is the one who wrote the uh, the song of the hanging tree, which you might remember from the other books, um, because something that happens while they're out there is a rebel gets hung and he's calling to his love or he gets hanged rather, excuse me, and he's calling to his love. Um, and that is the inspiration for the, the Hanging Tree song. Um, well, like Lucy Lucy Gray made up the Hanging Tree song. And I think it's you can if you want to read that Katniss is descended from these COVID covey. It's possible. Yeah. People. I mean, because her dad was very into music and they're very like yeah. independently spirited. I, I, I think it's pretty easy to build a case for for like Suzanne Collins saying that Lucy Gray's people were you know are are the progenitors of of Katniss's people and Snow kind of sows the seeds of his own destruction in, in the things that he does to them. Yes. Now she doesn't make that explicit enough. 
for it to be a thing that I'm 100% sure she's doing, but it is implied. Yeah. Um, and so, like, what? Here's some stuff that happens in this district. Oh, no, Lucy Gray's boyfriend is around, and he doesn't like anybody. Uh, oh, no, the rebel got hanged. Oh, no, Sejanus is getting mixed up with the with the rebels that are there, and his plan, he's going to, like, help them break out someone from the jail and then they're going to run away to where there are no districts, which Coriolanus just can't even believe is a thing. Um, and they're just going to live in the north, uh, beyond the wall, I guess. I'm not really sure what where they're going. Canada, presumably. Um, <laughs> and... There's, so like there's a scene it's sort of it's a scene from like every teen movie where like they hang out by a lake for a weekend for like a day <laughs> and he hangs out with the covey people and he's like man I guess I this is Corio like I guess I could hang out with these covey people for the rest of my life hmm I don't know uh but Sejanus has gotten mixed up in this rebellion a concert gets violent uh Cory shoots a dude um then that then another dude gets in trouble uh and so like i don't know oh the other thing andrew we haven't talked about the birds at all what's the we we haven't because that's i guess that's the other part of songbirds and snakes right is like so by the time you get into this third book they're laying a bunch of of breadcrumbs like i guess i say they but i mean suzanne collins is laying a bunch of breadcrumbs to so when you when you read the trilogy after having read this book you're not going to have a lot of extra insight into snow's character but you are going to get to read the events and be like man i bet that's really bugging president (laughs) snow based on based on stuff i remember from the prequel book because in this book he really hates mocking jays he really hates them because they're like subverting the cool jabber jay technology that the capital built and they're not natural and they're just and they're just singing all the time and man my girlfriend sings and i'm so sick of music (laughs) and what he said there is a again there's like collins tries to make these birds into a metaphor where like the jabber jays are like little um yak back microphones with wings <laughs> they're that, a little talk by tape that you can send into the woods and come back and literally point a remote control at and have them like say what they were spying on um so they trap a bunch of these jabber jays the jabber jays have created the mocking jays which they can't do that but they can just sing um and they have like there's again there's like one conversation where someone's like, well, you know, do you really have your own voice or do you just repeat what the capital tells you? And I got really galaxy brain on that page, and then I realized the book <laughs> didn't have anything else to say about that. Um, but so the bird thing, like, it is a thing that sticks with him as a character thing. It also becomes he he gets Sejanus to confess to being involved with the rebels in front of a Jabberjay cage, and then like sends that back to the capital. And apparently Panem is a one party consent state yep. for like voice recordings. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it's permissible in the court of law. Uh, so that, um, that gets Sejanus in trouble. Sejanus does not make it. Uh, but snow is like, Oh dang, that gun that I used to shoot someone is still out there. I should probably just run away with Lucy. And this whole time he's like, been sitting on crates listening to her sing going like you said he's like i don't know if i like this song is this song about me it's not about me well, enough and i don't keeps, like it <laughs> is this song about me is this about her ex 
man, I can't stop thinking about her. Every ex. song oh, is you're so this, vain. That's every song she's singing. It's all this, all this stuff about like, man, I I love her, but does she love me enough? I don't know if she does. And then, but we're but they hang out so few times that even though every conversation they have tells you the reader that they are not compatible and they are not going to work out. Correct. He still thinks that they might work out. And and so he thinks that they, he has created this, this scenario where he has no future in the capital and he, he's gotten Sejanus hanged for treason and he feels a little bit bad about it, but he mostly feels bad that he might get caught for his own, like he might get Im- implicated in it and executed himself. And so he decides at his like lowest point, Right after the right after he gets offered like this officer training thing that he signed up for when he got to District 12 in the first place, he's like, well, there's nothing else for me here. I'm going to run away with Lucy Gray. We're in love and it's going to be great. And then he is out with her for like a half hour and she says, well, we better go like fish in this pond so we can eat. And he's like, this is Ewey <laughs> digging for digging for worms and just like. The only thing I get to do is worry about where my next meal's going to come from. This is gross. He is every kid whose dad was like, "Hey, let's go camping. We can go play outside like a, for a whole week." And you're like, "Yeah, camping sounds great." He's like, "Yeah, okay, but we can't bring your bed. You have to sleep on the ground." Ew, I hate camping. Dad, you stink. And he just <laughs> is like, "Man, I am going to be stuck clawing through the ground for worms for the rest of my life." And I they thought even, I loved this They don't this even girl. make it a full day. They don't even make it like walking distance away from District 12 before he's like, ooh, did I? Ooh. You mean I can't charge my phone? Anywhere? Wait, I can't order Grubhub out here? This sucks. <laughs> and so they, they do, it starts to rain. They take shelter in the shack from when they went on their lake trip God, before. This turns on a this turns on a dime, this does. And... Because the other rebels knew about this shack, they clearly left the incriminating guns hanging on the back of a door. And Coriolanus is like, "Oh, dang the guns! I can, I'm free. I'll just they don't have they don't have anything on me. They don't have the evidence. I can go back. I'll bury them or something. I'll throw them in the lake." And Lu- Lucy Gray's like, I, "I'll go get some damp firewood." Like she leaves. I don't know where she goes. So they, well, so they have a conversation where. Snow accidentally reveals, like, oh, I've killed three people this summer. Oh, and she and one is the kid whose head he beat in in the Hunger Games, and the second one is the mayor's daughter who he is gunned down in what he views as self defense because it would injure his like political fortunes, or, which or, I don't think is how self Lucy Gray in works. danger. Lucy Gray is like, I I know that it sucked that you killed that girl, but you did it to protect me. And he's like, yes, it was definitely to protect you. And she's like, who's the third person, Corey? Who's the third person you killed? And he's thinking of Sejanus because he ratted him out and got him hanged. And he's like, well, she doesn't, if she learned that about me, she probably would not bang me, break up with me. So he says, oh, it's the old, the old me. The old Corey can't come to the phone right now because he's dead because I killed him. And that's what I meant. She goes, Okay. Oh, that checks out. So she, I guess, so instantly, she just runs away, instant, right? Well, so they they find these guns, and so she puts to like they both 
put together all this implied stuff about each other. Again, once again, another part where I would love to just, just a word in edgewise from Lucy Gray herself. Yeah. Uh-huh. To hear how she's feeling about all this and learning that the, the, this man who she loves and has run away with is a monster. Yeah. She figures out that he is going to, he thinks that camping is Ewey and he's going to kill her and go back to his life. And he is like, well, I better kill her and go back to my old life. Well, and then he gets out in the woods, a random snake bites him and he starts thinking to himself, oh, dang, she's trying to kill me. It's not. It's not a random snake. It's you don't not think a random it, snake. I thought. I, no, it's cl- it's clearly not a random snake because she leaves all this, all these uh, footprints and stuff mm, all in right. the mud, and that she leaves this like orange handkerchief in a place where he'll see it, and he goes to where it is, and then a snake bites him. But it's not a poisonous one. Like when he goes back to the the doctor. They're like, no, nah, I wasn't poisonous. No, but she dropped a non-poisonous snake down the dress of that person in the in the first oh, place, and good then point, after, good point. and then after that happens, she becomes harder to track because she is trying to be harder to track. Okay, fair enough. I think we're meant, even though again we don't get her perspective, so it's all in Corey's head. I I do believe we are meant to assume that she fully understands the stakes and is intentionally That's, trying to get away. Yeah, from I him do. I think you're him. right there because the book. Without ever, ever giving us this information, Collins does seem to think that Lucy is very capable and intelligent and interesting, uh, but just never spends any time with her. And again, it's a shame because the other books are interested in how artistry and creativity get co-opted in this society. And she's a songwriter and she's a performer. And to have any sort of access to that would be fascinating. Um, anyway, he gets bit by a snake. He goes back. And what happens? Well, I mean, he... So you skip the part where he just, like, empties his <laughs> gun clip into the woods. Yeah, that's true. And she is left for dead, and we get no, like... I, I took that she got no, away, is what I thought. I... So there's a there's a song with somebody named Lucy Gray in it where it's not clear if she dies or not. Yeah. And that so that song that we're introduced to is meant to be like symbolism for what happens to Lucy Gray in this book. Yeah. Um but then he goes back and he has been told that he did pass the officer exam. Uh so he goes back, gets treated for his snake bite and gets sent to th- District, what he thinks is going to be District Two, I guess, for his assignment. Yeah, so he's he's prepping for this better life than he had planned planned for himself, but not his old life. And it turns out that evil Doctor Gall has just kind of summoned him back and has been like, "Well, did was being out in the did, did being out in the districts teach you anything about power and how to be more sadistic and to make the Hunger Games into what we all know and love?" And he's like, "Yes, yes, it did." And she's and like, cool, because I deleted all the recordings of that kind of crappy games that we just put on. I kept one copy for myself so I could watch it later. Uh, but no one's ever going to see that again. So let's get to work, bud. We got a better show to make. Well, because they, like, they didn't want Lucy Gray to become some kind of a symbol because she did. Get it? She was kind of a personality uh-huh. that transcended the crappy version of the games that they had been putting on. So they wanted to preserve what did work about that season of the hunger games while also like, like the students from the Capitol are not going to be the mentors again. We're gonna have to figure something else out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We're gonna have to do some other things. 
Uh, and then Snow, like in the epilogue, comes up with, well, we should make a victor's village for all the districts so that all the tributes who win in the districts can go home and live in the victor's village and everybody will be totally jealous and all, there will be better tributes who will volunteer because they want the victor's village house and all the stuff that comes with it. And he kind of single-handedly invents the rest of the Hunger Games. Yeah. And we learn, I don't know, I won't spoil the incredible true story of who came up with the Hunger Games, really. I'll leave that for people who want to do read this book. Do we want to, I mean, do we want to say whether we view this, view this as necessary or not? Is that where we are? I feel like I we think should that's, I think that's where we're at. Like the, the other reviews that are out there from like online and print outlets are, I think most of them are kind of where we're at, where it's like, it's a slower book. She didn't leave herself room for the types of creativity she displayed in the earlier books. Uh, Coriolanus is an awkward protagonist to hitch your story to. Um, there is interesting stuff fleshing out the the world that fans of the trilogy might enjoy. Um, but most of the, the reviews were not glowing, just I think uh, similar to ours, I think, um, because it was a reminder. Every Everything that was frustrating was a reminder of the stuff that could have been there that wouldn't be. Um, based on previous experience with the with the novels that which we mostly liked. I think we had like misgivings about the original trilogy. I do think that they're largely successful though. Um I don't know. So if you if you if you like me found the third book in particular yes. to be kind of an unrelenting slog the the I mean the the whole thing drags too much, but this the one? last third of it in yeah, but the last third of it in particular is like Everybody sucks and everything is miserable and here's your book, the end. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody wants us to spoil the incredible true story of who invented the Hunger Games. It was actually Corey Snow's dad, his dead dad. He got Dr. Gall, Dr. Gall for a school project was like, how can we punish the districts? And Corey's dad and Dean Highbottom had been good pals and Dean Highbottom like loved designing games. Like he was a real, I don't know what the name of the guy who invented like Settlers Catan. His <laughs> name is, but he's Captain a, he's a real, he's a real that guy. And so Corey Snow's dad like gets him drunk and writes down everything he says about how to design a cool, sadistic Hunger Games, and then hands in the assignment. And then he get, and then he dies. Like he's killed in the in the war and. His idea is attributed to Dean Highbottom, and Dean Highbottom just has to live with what he sees as an atrocity. Yes. And that's the thing. And that's the thing. And then Snow takes care of him, in whatever that means. Um, well, he kills him. Yeah. He kills uh, him with poison. So, and like, kills him with rat poison we talk, for underestimating him. We, Snow falls on top the end, Hunter Games. We talked about this earlier, like the academia or the elites, like you know tasking youth with coming up with the sadistic hunger games is like its own critique of those systems i guess it's all run through this lens of like she literally uses the phrase forever war multiple times like how do you institute and perpetuate a forever war without having to fight it every single day and that's what these people have come up with um and it's i wish it were more compelling of a reveal i wish it were 
I don't know. Maybe I wanted a book about Hunger Games 20. Like, is it just I wanted a book about a different Hunger Games? I mean, be careful what you wish for, because the Dang. one of the threads we don't get is how Snow and Tigress like fall out. Yeah. Yeah. Because Tigress is presented as more like humane and sympathetic, even though she has like cat like a couple of cat like moments in this book where she just like loves eating raw meat for no reason. <laughs> for for some reason i i guess it's a i guess this is the effect the fandom effect is like this one character who shows up for 15 pages in the toward the end of the last book you have somebody who everybody is just obsessed with and so of course she's like related to president snow and she has to be a big part of this one yeah yeah to the original question andrew is it essential if you're a hunger games fan is it a bonus book is it something else Essential, absolutely not. Absolutely not. No, 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 no. Is it a bonus book? Parts of it, I think. I think I think thinking about the games and thinking about the motivation behind creating propaganda and how to create complicity, because that's a big theme of the original trilogy, is in what in what ways are we all complicit in an atrocity like the Hunger Games? Um, the way that it is manufactured is interesting again wish it were just i i just didn't want to spend as much time with Corey. yeah and allegra asks is hunger game setting up to be the new star well star wars prequel trilogy i don't this doesn't explicitly set up other books but there's clearly room for it it's just there wouldn't need to be other books if you had other perspectives involved. If you didn't need to write a new book every time you wanted to have a new perspective. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, I I think this book would have been much more interesting if we had been in Snow's head in the original trilogy somewhere. Like, yes. in, the, in the third book especially, as, like, he sees the walls closing in, I I think there is room to have snow's perspective and like not to have him be a sympathetic presence, but to have him be like a human person that we, the reader can understand. I think that's, I also personally did not find him so present in the original trilogy that I was like, gotta get me the backstory, like Darth Vader style. Like Darth Vader is way more a part of the original star Wars movies than snow is in the hunger games um and this is this is a bad analogy because star wars fans will lap up i don't know like a book about jack porkins like there's there is no character too incidental <laughs> yeah, for star fair wars point, fans fair point, to fair want point. more information about but it is like so imagine only the three original star wars movies exist like no special editions no prequels no expanded universe no nothing the original movies are all that are out there and you say well, let's make a book about the villain and the person hands in a manuscript about Jabba the Hutt. Yeah. Yeah. That's what this is. That is what this is. And, and again, like, and, but also she's making a bonus book. She could have broken the structure. Give me Sejanus. Give me a weird Dr. Gall chapter. Let me be in the games. It, it is such a departure to not be in the arena for the games themselves. Like that is a, a huge shift. And I don't think she sticks that landing. Um, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think it makes up for that change with what is there. 
Uh, Got a few to close out just to give some some other perspectives and, yeah, and to please. kind of crystallize some points we've been making. I have some three-star Goodreads reviews. Thank you. Um, from Natalia on Goodreads, I think this book will alienate quite a few of Hunger Games fans. You see, it was easy to root for Katniss pitted against the ridiculous brutality of her world. She spoke to you, the girl who volunteered, the girl who defied her own self-preservation instinct to stand up for what's right. But the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes makes it impossible to root for its protagonist because he is the ultimate antagonist because we know what he will become. You don't root for young Hitler to find love love and success. Uh, but she does go on to say, uh, Corey Snow cannot be redeemed, but he can be understood to a point, And that's what Collins did well here. I don't disagree with that. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. Totally. It just takes too long to to do it. Yeah. Um, Raylene says this book is really interesting, less as a villain origin story and more as a reflection on the early days of the Hunger Games. Also true. Yeah. Um, and then Cindy on Goodreads, unfortunately, the last third of the book bumped my rating down to three stars as I felt very underwhelmed by the outcome and execution. The character development was so rushed at the end rather than a gradual and nuanced transition to, quote, evil. Snow flip-flopped way too many times for arbitrary reasons. The last third of the book also became extremely heavy-handed with all the Mockingjay metaphors and the constant singing to basically sum up the entire story. If you're going to turn to the dark side so quickly and unrealistically for the sake of canon, at least give us a dramatic showdown for entertainment. It did feel like a bit of a whimper to go out on for just him to be f- like scaredy cat running through the woods, f- getting bit and firing a gun at someone he can't see. For he that go- to be the goes- climactic he- moment of the... He goes- from this is the only person in the whole world that I love <laughs> to camping is gross to I've got to gun this B word down yeah. or my life is over. Yeah. Like this happens in 10 pages. I, and like there is a paragraph where he's like, man, you know, maybe I didn't give her enough credit. She did kill those kids in that arena. She could be trying to kill me. Oh, she's been a stone cold killer this whole time. And like that, that is an interesting perspective shift for him to happen but like let's live with that guy instead of well and it and it, it plays off of like this deeply paranoid and jealous yeah. persona that he's been developing already is like he's already this toxic boyfriend yes. type yes and we get to see what what happens when she is not around to like constantly reassure him yeah it just um, but but the stakes felt low though at the end yeah which is never sure. a fun place to be um, well, and I, and I got to, I got to like the book ended at 95% in my edition because there was, there were a couple chapters of the hunger games at the end of it. That was so a weird time not, travel moment. <laughs> was, and I got to like 92% and I was like, man, he's going to kill this girl. Yeah. And I was, that just, it was a bummer ending. Yeah. I, I was hoping it would go another way, but it didn't. I also, it was weird to get to the end of a book in 2020 and have it be like, Hey, you want to read the next book from a decade ago? <laughs> this is weird. Uh, it, is, it, it was very like, this is, this is the next goosebumps. It was. Get, a sneak, <laughs> get a sneak peek. <laughs> Scholastic. What are you doing? Um, well, that's the battle. It's, it's a pretty common, like fantasy fiction is, thing to is. include a snippet. So, um, that's the ballad of songs. This was someone's snakes. first hunger games book. I don't know. Don't do that. Don't do that. You do not need to read this in order. Maybe maybe find out if the audiobook is interesting, like if the performance mm. is good. Like sure. if that's your jam, 
and uh, you like you want to you need something to listen to while you're you know doing stuff whatever like dishes or whatever or in, in your house being safe going for a run or whatever you could do that. But uh, doing dishes and running, those are the two things that anybody does anymore. <laughs> those are the two <laughs> things. Yep, you got it. Sometimes cooking. Um, but yes, also it is uh, a bit of a what if Joker, but my stories. So your mileage may joke, vary. Joke her because it's a because Suzanne Collins is it's a woman. Well, thanks everybody for joining us. You can uh, tell us your favorite email, not email. <laughs> yeah, you can tell us. <laughs> <laughs> I like strong bad emails. Yeah, tell us. What's your favorite? Tell us email. your favorite email. Tell us your favorite song from the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Send us an email about it. OverduePod at gmail Hit us up on Twitter and Facebook at OverduePod. Uh, again, thanks to our Patreon supporters who joined us. And uh, thanks to Nick Lorandis, who composed our theme song. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where do they go? They go to OverduePodcast.com. Up there we have links to Apple Podcasts, Google Play. It's not called Google Play anymore. I got to change that. Um, Our RSS feed. We're also up on Spotify and Stitcher and a lot of other places. Uh, We have a new listener page. We have a link to our Patreon page if you are listening to this in real time. Thank you for donating. That We appreciate it so much. It helps us out now that some of us are tentatively dipping our toes back into paying for childcare. Yep. Um, and yeah, it's we and we like having you here to to interact with and to watch you laugh at our cool, funny jokes in real time. We got more genie babies coming up. Keep an eye out for that. Um, by the time this episode hits the main feed, Andrew will probably have already talked about Harvey by Mary Chase, and then we will let don't you... Don't forget Eggs by Jerry Spinelli. Then we will let you know what our schedule for September is as well. That's it, everybody. Andrew, get us out of here. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. This was a long one. Thanks for sticking with us. Until we talk to you next time, try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.